0: Hi. Well, Thanks very much and thanks for bearing with me there. I brought a, a different presentation from the last time I was at SHRE and sent that along. So, um, yeah, here we have the right one. But, um, so, yes. Yeah, so my is Becca and I'm the CEO of Standalone, which is a third sector organisation, a quite new third sector organisation. We're only four years old. Um, has anyone heard of us before? Oh, wow, okay, yeah, quite a few. In what context have you heard about us? Do you have a pledge? Yes, a pledge. yeah, we do. Okay. Well, for those of you that don't know who we are, then basically we work with students who have no connection to family. So those are students that might not have actual physical or um, verbal contact with their family and or emotional connection and support from their families. Um, And we support people widely on that basis between the age of 18 and 64, 65 are our oldest beneficiaries, but we have a specific HE strand which came around from my founding of the charity around four years ago, where people told me that they were really struggling to prove their family estrangement, lack of contact, lack of emotional connection um, to their family, to statutory HE services. So for example student finance england or their local bursary um, department at their university their finance or accommodation departments so we received quite a lot of letters around this from various students so it became part of our early strategic plan so as a person as a professional i'm really really interested in social change i always have been i've always i was a journalist before i became a ceo and we like strong conjoint arguments and we also like to see things become out into the open and we like to see things change and like to see social justice happen so really what I'm interested in is the actual mechanics of how that happens Um, and research is a really really crucial element in that so when I first founded the organisation, my job was funded on the basis that I would go out and I would find researchers and research to prove a lot of the anecdotal issues that had been occurring for students who didn't have a family network. So in a way, I was tasked to go backwards. You are like, yeah, you found the problem. We know it's a problem. There's a lot of people telling you this and you've got all these great quotes. Now go and get some academics and professionals to back you up. So basically, that's what I did. So I worked quite closely with a number of academics um, over the last four years um, and more statutory supply organisations who've helped us to qualify what we knew already, but maybe add some things as well. So the first challenge I think that Standalone really had was to qualify who estranged students were. So in a way, estranged students had a crisis of definition. So the sector really understood people from a care background and they understood that people without connection to a family or emotional support from a family may well have featured in the care system at some point in their lives and if any of you know the awareness raising work of Bottle UK then they did a great job of taking one piece of academic research and then making the sector pay attention to it and galvanize that change with the quality mark that they put into place so I suppose we had similar ambitions about estranged students to be able to bring more attention towards them. But the first thing we had to say is who are they? So are they students who've been in care? Well, some of them may have been in their past. And so we actually had to try and distinguish them from care leavers and give them an identity of their own. So we went on to do a number of pieces of research that really helped to define that. The most prevalent one was the New Starts piece of research which took a direct comparison between care leaver students and estranged students and told them what the differences essentially were. And this I suppose is grey literature, it's not something that was put into papers necessarily, but it was something that really helped the sector to actually have a guide as to what a care leaver is and where that ends and where an estranged student may start and begin. today um, I'm gonna to only talk about one piece of research because just to answer the question all these four pieces of research had a journey of their own and have had an impact of their own as well um, but one piece of research has actually had a really big impact and beyond what we ever thought it perhaps could have so I wanted to talk about that and then go on to address some of the um, some of the I suppose meanings that I think the third sector can have when working with researchers and some of the challenges that we have too. So the one I'm going to talk about is the one that's in the left hand corner which is called Focus on Access and Retention. Um, This piece of research was actually done with a student loans company so As a third sector person, as a campaigner and as a journalist, then I was very unafraid of approaching people to go and get what I wanted. And what I wanted was a meeting with a student loans company to be able to see why on earth all these students were having problems with their applications and what we could do about it and how we could help them to change some of the things that they um, were doing. So very luckily I'm in the position where I work in London and I was well connected to the NUS. And the NUS run a stakeholder group called the Vulnerable Student Stakeholder Group, and the then Assistant Chief Executive, David Malcolm, put me on that group, which was extremely useful to then start forging a relationship with student finance, who we fast began to see actually had no idea who estranged students were either, and their definitions and their understandings were extremely, extremely poor, and they were really stabbing in the dark as to how to work with these students. So really it was... There was a really big opportunity there for not only myself but the other partners on that group to go in and say these are estranged students these are their needs and this is how you need to be able to change how you work and i think we didn't have any problem having the authority to do that simply because they were doing such a poor job as it was so we were getting about 30 or 40 emails a week from students saying they don't believe that I'm estranged from my family. They don't believe that I don't have contact with my mum. They're asking my parents to write a letter, blah, blah, blah. There were all sorts of very difficult practices that were coming to light that we were taking to these meetings. But the real breakthrough really came from actually saying, you need to go away and do some kind of work yourself to evaluate whether we're telling you the truth. Because they kept batting it away, and it was very political. So they kept saying, oh, well, we haven't got any evidence for that. So. We said and challenged them, well, you need to go away and get some evidence to go and show that. So why don't you go and do a customer insight survey with all of your students, um, which you've done for loads of other groups, and there's no reason why you haven't got the resources and time to go and do this. And maybe quite stupidly, they gave it to us to analyse. <laughs> so NUS and ourselves were in this really privileged position of, they went. we designed the survey with them and we did a lot of online work. Um, And then they sent it out to all of their estranged students. And then they just handed us the data. So we were in a very, very, very good position. uh, A position that we probably shouldn't have been in, which I think a lot of people got into trouble for after they found out (laughs) we were. Um, But that basically gave us... um, a 504 representative sample of the estranged students that were currently in the system. So there were around 9,400 in the system at that time. So we got answers from 504, which roughly worked out to be representative. It was sent to 5K, so about 5,000 students. Um, so we got a huge amount of data back. And the findings were very, very interesting and absolutely answered to everything we were talking about anecdotally. So... Two-thirds of students had had a significant struggle with accessing finance, most commonly because they couldn't prove their situation or evidence their family breakdown. Information that student finance was poor. Students became trapped in a circle of bad advice and rejection of their evidence, often for extremely unclear reasons, and they weren't given anything at all to kind of work on there. Um... But most importantly, I think what we found out is that students did not feel represented or supported in their HEIs at all and were uncomfortable asking for support through the stigma and shame of family breakdown and lack of specialised services. So they were completely unrecognised and didn't, in a sense, universities also didn't know what on earth to do with them. Um, But I think those were the really important top lines. But what was quite important is that we actually collected a huge volume of highly emotive verbatim which absolutely compounded everything that we had been saying and gave us the best journalism story that I think I've ever seen in my life, that I was absolutely desperate to break to my contacts at The Guardian at the time um, and to say, look, we have one hell of a story that the government are actually, you know, really mistreating people that have had incredibly difficult upbringings. So I'll just leave you to read some of those quotes that we were handed and Just to give you um, an idea, we were handed about 420 such quotes of extremely difficult times that people had had with student finance. So, in some ways, we had a lot more evidence than we actually needed. (laughs) So what I think was quite useful about these quotes in particular was there were some absolute concrete consequences which we could say that we'd had on students. So, for example, that they were actually considering dropping out. So 15% of our sample were considered dropping out, which was three times higher than the national average at the time. Um, Basically, people had been saying that it was taking them back in their lives that they couldn't escape their dysfunctional pasts. Uh, It was causing them homelessness and mental health difficulties. And that they were actually being forced to have contact with family members through which they didn't want to have contact with, which was at the time seen to be a violation of their human rights to actually escape a situation which is harmful to them. So there were a lot of really, really key and key things that came out of this. Um, So quite rightly, me and David Malcolm at NUS sat there and thought, what the hell are we going to do with this? So we've got this great story, (laughs) we've got like this evidence that we've always wanted, and we've got the Forum to do exactly what we want with it. So I just want to hand that to you. Like what would you do in that situation? So if you can talk to the person next to you, what do you think you would do?
1: Yeah, I was (laughs) just (laughs) about to say. Oh, no, sorry, no,
0: as if you were me, sorry, not as if you were the student, I'm sorry. Okay, I'm going to come back, you guys, um, has anyone got any thoughts? Any thoughts they'd like to share? Any questions as well? I'm sure there's some questions. Here. Well, we were actually thinking you could do lots of different things depending on who it is you're trying to reach. Yes, so... Well, one of the comments was that if you wanted to get through to senior managers at universities, it needs to be on a pie chart. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, Slightly slightly different, but maybe not. But also at the same time, there are also different formats you can do. One of the things you want to be careful of of course is to show that you're not cherry-picking something to show that it's... Mm. um, Let's say, okay, I've got a really juicy quote, but this is also then representative of the group, so you need to have combinations of different things. Anything from videos to a two-page summary to Mm. all sorts of different things yeah absolutely so yeah these definitely were not cherry-picked so it was quite useful that student finance had the data also so they could actually look through it themselves and check that we hadn't skewed it in any way so yeah which is interesting anyone else got any ideas what would you what would your strategy be we'd write to the conversation obviously. <laughs> right <laughs> so you take it to the press what would you then we were saying that what we'd want to do is talk to the CEO of um, Student Finance England and tell them we were going to go to the press <laughs> and would they like to meet with us in advance of that happening and yeah. hope that that would be the trigger, but it wouldn't stop us necessarily making it public. Yes. Yeah, I had a similar idea, but I think it'd be nicer to go to press with the with with, with the response with the. Positive story, which would be this is what we found, and this is what student finance how they responded. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. the complete yeah, complete, yeah, yeah. Especially okay. not to harm that relationship, you saying that you had a yeah. good relationship. Yeah, yeah. So. yeah. As a campaigner who wants influence, you always want to protect your influence. So sometimes going to the press can be the worst thing you can possibly do because it shows that you can never be trusted again. And we were put in a partnership with big trust. So to go and do that would definitely betray that trust. So we, um, yeah. So to go to the press or not to go to the press, which took our board of trustees about three weeks to decide what to do, um, alongside NUS. But in the end, we did both. So um, we didn't go to the press because we decided that our credibility and our influence would actually be a lot stronger if we offered to work to work towards change with them. So we already knew we had a good hand. We had the best hand we possibly could. So we presented the findings to the SMT at Student Loans Company as well as policymakers from Business Innovation and Skills at the time. Before the meeting, two days before the meeting, we gave them three pages of the verbatim comments, and so we just pulled out a really, really random sample of what had come through. Nothing, no kind of worst comments. It was actually just very random what we put through um, and gave those to them before so they could digest the sheer volume of things that we'd all had to read, that NUS researchers had had to read and that we'd read, um, which was quite an effective way of doing it, even though it was disorganised in some ways. It was actually gave them... a, a. I suppose like the feeling of reading it was so upsetting for the NUS researchers and was so upsetting for them in the end that a few of them were moved to tears in the meeting actually reading some of these responses that had come through. So we think actually unorganising the data and uncategorising it actually gave them a real feeling of what we'd found, which was useful. Um, And then we gave a really simple presentation of the facts as well as this verbatim, and then we asked them in a very, very simple way, is this fair and reasonable, which is their own standard of how they should judge their own processes. Um, Which, yes, they decided it was not, which was a really good, really good piece of impact for this research. So six months later, you get the news, and we got an advance warning of about a week that all the processes were suddenly changing, and that the recommendations that we had put on the back of the report about having better information and advice, having um, a dedicated team to deal with these students who had been trained in counselling or had come from a third sector background um, had been taken and they had a dedicated phone line for these students to actually ring who'd be able to talk to someone properly about their own case and their own evidence and there wasn't this toing and fro between information and evidence. They changed the evidence processes so that the evidence... Um, wasn't going to be asked for year after year after year so they only presented it once and then it was revalidated and revalidated without them having to resubmit it. So in short we got a lot of really really big wins and we were very pleased because we thought this strategy in terms of influence was going to take five or six years to do but this one piece of research seemed to expedite it so it took about two and a half so we were obviously very much um, yeah, happy about that. However the research did kind of bring up quite a lot about universities. So it wasn't just student finance that we thought really weren't dealing with things very well. We actually thought universities were really really unaware. So we did go to the press around um, the students and their no support network to try and bring that objective of visibility into the fore. So to try and re- really define who these students were against who care leavers were initially and also to help them to see the unique struggles that these students had Who perhaps would be homeless over summer, or perhaps they wouldn't have enough funding to be able to get themselves through the year because they were supporting themselves every week of the year with their student finance. So in short, they really lacked family capital on a huge number of levels. So, Offer, at the same time, became very interested in our research, so they um, together we wrote topic briefing around estranged students. Um, and that was brokered by our networks by different players within the vulnerable student stakeholder group and other charity and third sector players who knew Les Ebden who set up a meeting which ended up being a successful meeting and a compelling meeting having all this research that's quite emotional to present and very luckily we were behind that agenda um, and so the topic briefing really then broke the, broke the barriers into accessing university um, And that led to a toppling effect where we wrote a strong funding application to Esme Fairbund Foundation who then gave us 150k to disseminate these changes into the HE sector. So, they wanted to see improvements for finance, accommodation, mental health, and outreach for estranged students, and gave us that KPI to do over three years and a post from which to do it. So, that means that we have someone now at Standalone dedicated full time into creating and change that change that the research suggests and the recommendations that we made. So, that basically led to making a pledge project where we've asked every university to pledge that they will change their policies to recognise estranged students, which is where some of you might know Standalone from. So as someone that works in the third sector, I'm absolutely conscious of impact every moment of the day. I don't go to sleep without thinking about the impact of Standalone. So you have to build these things into projects when you do third sector work. So what we decided to do was that we didn't just want universities to say yes, we'll take a pledge, we wanted it from the top. So VCs have to write letters to say that they have engaged with this this subject, they're behind it, and they're willing to sign off the funding for universities to make specific bursaries, to change their accommodation policies, and to improve mental health. So, to date, we have 30 VCs have written these kinds of letters, which are on our pledge website. And this one's from Liverpool John (laughs) Moores. And at the very beginning, myself and Susan, who is the person that came out of the Esme Fairbund funding, um, not literally, she was employed, sorry, (laughs) Um, then we went round university VCs who we thought would be um, more, yeah, more in line with this project, who had really taken on the care leave agenda, and we asked them the hard question, and will you be our champions for this, and presented the research, and many of them did, which was great. So we started with six, and now we have 30 within eight months, so... There was a toppling effect, really, of universities wanting to get onto this agenda, um, which was really helped by the fact that student finance had also, in the research, given us the figures for how many Australian students were in each institution, which had not been known before. So even though that was something that um, is very informal and it was something that was written up, then it, you know, it actually had a huge impact on their capacity and, I suppose, appetite for supporting. Because universities that have... 200 estranged students definitely had bigger meetings around signing off this kind of support than universities that had, say, three, which we can count Oxford, Cambridge, and most Russell groups within, um, saying there's a big outreach problem there, I think. So um, so to date, our targets are, and our um, projected targets will be that we'll have given away, we won't have given away, universities will have given away 1.5 million of specialist um, pounds in bursaries, which has been in place since the participation of the PRED project. So we definitely feel there is a big financial impact there from this project already. Um, And we think that number will go up significantly by the end of the project in two years. Um, And so Offer as well had great impact Measuring capacity for us, so 200% rise in universities documenting support for Australian students in their access agreements. That was a really nice figure to receive. So I think it was something like five when we first started and now there's something like 52 who actually mentioned them, but then the actual outright support has definitely risen not quite so much. It's just thinking at the moment for a lot of institutions. Um, but really, as a third sector organisation, what we're really interested in are these figures, obviously, because they ensure that we can go back to our funders and say, look, we're a safe pair of hands with money, um, because as a growing charity, everyone needs to be shown that they can manage money well, and the legacy of the kids' company hangs over every CEO, and particularly founding CEOs like myself, who um, are often thought of not to be able to manage charities and money now. Um, And so, for me, I'm very pleased that we can show these kinds of things an impact, and that's a really, really important thing. Um, But the most reward, I think, comes from reading what the impact of these bursaries and these kind of preventative measures that universities take have had. So more quotes, but I think really, really interesting quotes, looking at the problems the research gave us and the answers that this bursary MMU has given. So I'll just give you a couple of moments to read that. So yes, so that's um, essentially the conclusion of that journey of the research so far, and I really hope that in December, when we do a more full impact, survey, um, we will have more of this kind of data from different institutions to say and understand how the changes that the research has led to has impacted their student journeys and retention and student success which ultimately is what I'm really interested in, is that those letters that I received when I founded the charity don't want to be there anymore, that we don't want to receive them that actually people have a better chance of surviving university and surviving it without being stressed and dropping out for a year here, there and everywhere that's really my what I want for those that subject I guess um, so my final thoughts are in terms of researchers um, in terms of what I think research can do um, would be that linking it with third sector organisations who have the access to the funding networks that can help roll out recommendations from research is really important and something that you touched on in your last um, um, presentation that I think is really important is that perhaps as a third sector generally we've got more capacity to do that and we actually have Um, perhaps more of the skill set too then campaigners are set there to campaign and we like going being vociferous and we like being unliked and chasing people and so perhaps that's something that's more within our kind of range and I don't know many institutions or um, sorry not institutions many third sector organisations that wouldn't welcome conversations with researchers so I think my message to you is not to be shy because really then I think that um, if you've got a piece of research that's relevant to someone's agenda, it's only going to help because third sector organisations now are in such a crisis in terms of credibility that the more credibility they have behind them in terms of their claims, I think the better things go down. So I think that there is a big appetite there to reach out and work with people across those sectors. I really can't stress that enough. And also I think sometimes researchers... Don't get pulled into the stakeholder groups that can do the more quiet work that's needed to make bigger changes. So, yes, you can get invited to really big seminars and those things can have a big impact. But I think that sometimes the way that change happens... um, What's well, certainly within the civil service is that it's a small group of people who are tasked to a certain thing. And if you can get yourself in the room with those certain civil servants, then a lot can actually change. So I think the top line is really important. But I think looking below the line and looking at who's making those changes, who's, what appetite is there behind this? Because ultimately, the student finance work... If Kate, the contact that I had there, had not, we'd not had a good working relationship as a civil servant, and also she had not been behind the agenda and saw how worthwhile it was, we wouldn't have got anywhere. So sometimes it's not the people that you might expect to connect with that are going to bring you the impact and the change that you might want. It might be the very quiet people who, you know, are pushy, you think of pushing paper, but they're pushing really important paper, and they've got the way to influence, really, the people that perhaps you go through in the top. Um... I'd also say, and this is a big, you know, foot in my mouth as a journalist, but don't go to the press to de- by default to disseminate and create change. I think the press can actually be very damaging because they have, you know, I think the conversation is a bit different. But I do think that the Guardian and the campaigning aspect of journalism is very, very quick and cycles are very, very fast. Things stay in our media minds for about a day or two, and then they get washed away by something different that comes to the fore. So I would say that unless you have a you know a really strong strategy with the press that's going to sustain that campaign for a number of weeks at different stories with different reveals at different points probably much like Edward Snowden had (laughs) and I think that it's actually if you've got a really delicate thing that the current government might want to dismiss quite quickly probably not really that the best thing to go and splash that all over the press I would think really hard about whether that is the best thing to do Um, if you do want to create change if you want to add to knowledge and want to you know, um, and want to just publicise that to create that impact. I think that's very different. Um, but yes, and I think having students being part of making the change that you want to see, I think that their voices ultimately are the ones that are the most important because they're the ones living the experience of HE and the ones that we kind of document. So in the dissemination of anything, I think having those real-life case studies, videos, or actual people coming and speaking at conferences who can actually attest to the things that you've said in your research are really really important and i think they give it a lot more credibility and i think they show that you're taking a bottom-up approach and not a top-down approach which i think for a lot of people is really important in this um this world so that concludes my thoughts so thank you very much for listening